0: Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy in the ordinary, look for moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. This summer, while Ed is on sabbatical, we are diving into the archives. Over our last seven seasons, we have explored a rich variety of topics and themes, and we're excited to share some of these with you again. Today, we're visiting an episode from June of 2021. Ed and I discuss the book, When the Heart Waits by Sue Monk Kidd. Her words are full of wisdom, poise, and grace, and will encourage us along our spiritual journey towards becoming who we truly want to be. Enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for tuning in with us. Today, we are talking about the book, When the Heart Waits by Sue Monk Kidd, who was author of The Secret Life of Bees, which was very popular for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, And what drew you to this book in particular? I know you are a voracious reader, um, (laughs) but what brought you to this book in particular? Well,
1: you know, it's interesting because I do love to read, but I found it really hard to read during the pandemic. Mm. Like my whole approach to that, It it became such a grind That was really alarming, by the way, you know, for someone who really likes to read and suddenly you can't even think, like books are piling up, but (laughs) nothing, zero is happening with them. Yeah, yeah. So earlier in the year, I read with a small group of people a a book by Karen Armstrong called 12 Steps to a Compassionate Life. We did some work on that on our podcast. And I was looking for a follow-up to it. And I, for some reason, Sue Monk Kid's name came to me because uh, her story is more personal. Mm-hmm. It's not really grappling with a big theme in terms of compassion. It's it's dealing with a big, her, her big life issue, which is a woman coming into a midlife crisis. So I uh, had read this book many years ago. In fact, it was written in 1990. And I read it with a book group back in the 90s. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So there's a little bit of history as far as that goes. But I just, one of the things I remembered about the book is that she was coming into a really crisis, a crisis point in her life. And she had to figure out how she was gonna move through that. I thought, well, we've been through quite a crisis uh, in these last 16 months or so. And uh, for some people living in that time as obviously for many people, it's been a horrific time for almost everybody. It's been a huge challenge. And um, now we're starting to come out of that a little bit, right? We're we're emerging, we're in the re-entry phase. And uh, this was kind of what Sue Monk went through in her life, a time of tremendous crisis, and then a kind of re-entry phase. So for all those reasons, I thought it might make an interesting book to, to read at this time.
0: Absolutely. I, I've read about third of it okay um, and we're we'll we'll assume dear listeners that you maybe haven't had a chance to read it yet so we've got three different points yeah. of familiarity with it. <laughs> uh, I was very struck with the idea that you know she was entering this time of crisis and really looking at her own her own self, her own life, her own interactions with other people and that this was not, the first time necessarily she had done this, Mm. like she had already been going through a transformation or at least starting the work a little bit the years prior, she was talking about different things. She'd been reading different ideas. She'd been exploring. So to me, I thought that was really interesting that even though you can be working and be working, you can still have this time of great discomfort Mm-hmm. I would maybe say with oneself. And I thought that was really interesting. I think, I wonder if she was uh, subconsciously trying to ward off. <laughs> she called the midlife crisis a decidedly American idea, yeah. but she and she kind of was kind of, um, she was kind of wary of it. I think she thought it was maybe a little bit of a cliche and yes. then she was fully in it. And it was like, oh, well, I guess, yeah, this is the yeah. thing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, great point about that is that you know you don't have to wait around for a midlife crisis specifically to have turbulence, right? In your life, you can you can enter into that any old time.
0: Yeah, Uh, they're waiting.
1: Yeah, and she did say that a friend of hers, uh, and I'm quoting now from the book, a friend of hers uh, said to her one day, "If you think God leads you beside only beside still waters, think again." God will also lead you beside turbulent waters. If you have the courage to enter, you'll think you're drowning. But actually, you're being churned into something new. Yeah. And I, I do think that this idea actually runs a little counter to the way that many people think about church or the purpose of worship. Mm-hmm. There's a big part of us, for many of us, that's been trained over the years to think of worship as the nice still quiet place where we go to get away from the world we get some quiet we get some a a version of peace Mm -hmm. but in fact um we may be met by ideas and stories and music in that worship space that that stir things up Mm -hmm. and really make us reconsider our lives and they can be very challenging as well as inspiring and i think this is what sue monk kid ran into it wasn't just uh it was a new vision of a spiritual life, which I, as you point out, I think she'd been tasting that over, off and on through the years. And now it came back with a sort of vengeance in her midlife.
0: Yeah, this idea that worship or a spiritual life can, I think we assume it is there for comfort. Yes. And often it can be discomfort. Yes. Where you find those, what is it, that phrase you used before, those growing edges? Is that the the phrase you use? That opportunity, those opportunities for growth, right? That when we, you know, when we are made aware of them or, or one theme she uses a lot is the idea of waiting, of of sitting with yourself. um, And it becomes, I've been visited by a dog. (laughs) Those are you on the video are watching. She's like, I love Sue Monk, kid. She Fine. loves it. Oh. Um, so, yeah, this idea of discomfort in a place where you, you'd usually expect comfort is very interesting. And this idea of waiting, where which is also its own kind of discomfort, especially for oh. us uh, Americans. Oh, um,
1: goodness,
0: yes. We're very good at being busy uh-huh. and very good at getting things done and very good at checking off our our to-do list um and and i found in the part i read that it's really this this through through thread of so much air quote gets done when you're when you look like you're doing nothing
1: right right yeah you know there's a book that i started to read uh some time ago and i've been just kind of dipping back into it from time to time uh, it's called the Checklist Manifesto. Uh, oh, there's a book that speaks to my heart. I know it's a book that speaks to your heart.
0: I love a checklist. I do. Uh, you
1: love a checklist, right? <laughs> and I believe the author's name is Atul Gawande. Uh, he's a physician, but he talked about the way that checklists can save our lives. And he and it and specifically, he used the example of emergency rooms across the country. The emergency rooms that tend to be the most efficient and the most responsive to patient needs are the ones that have very clear checklists Mm. so that everyone there has a protocol that they follow. And I can really appreciate that. And I love goals and a sense of here's the thing we're moving towards. However, however, there is in, I would say almost all the great religious traditions, this sense that there's another kind of growth that can only take place when you step away from the checklist and the goals, so those are valuable in their own way. However, in addition to them, there's this waiting time, mm-hmm. and I think for Sue Monk Kidd, uh, she experienced waiting as a very, as a not pleasant experience. And I know that right now, coming out of the pandemic, you know the roads are humming again, and people are getting back into that old pattern, the old swing of things. Whereas if we can find a way to summon the courage to do so, waiting could be exactly the right thing for us right now. Mm -hmm. And it's not the waiting of, I'm just going to sit back and do nothing, but there is a kind of attentiveness that's being required. What's my spirit saying to me? What's my soul saying to me? And this is really what she's trying to uncover in the course of the book. And clearly it makes her super uncomfortable uh, right, a good period of the time. And she was a very active person, you know. She had a family and, and work and dreams and hopes and all of that. So she had a busy life. But something about that life was very unfulfilling. She, she uses the word stale, you know, that it had just gone stale. And that's a word, I think, I didn't hear people use that during the pandemic, but I did hear people use the word languish, mm-hmm. you know, that there was just something Kind of an, an indifferent spirit, so um, yeah. This waiting—what is it you do when you wait? That's a really interesting, you know, creative waiting—not just the waiting that's forced on us.
0: I'll admit, when I was reading this book, I think there's always a little part of my brain that if I, you know, if I know we're going to talk about something, I wonder, and I try to maybe anticipate what your perspective will be or what your interpretation will be with you know, today's life or faith or whatever. And I'll admit with the idea of waiting, I was very much thinking, oh, well, we've kind of done the waiting, right? The pandemic was the waiting. Yes. The COVID was the waiting, the sitting with oneself and one's feelings to, for many of us, an uncomfortable level, a challenging level, but a very good challenge. Um, and I, I you, you, you surprised me with the idea that maybe waiting is still really important right now. Um, and I love that. And I always like to be surprised. So that was very, very interesting. And, and I think a good challenge too, because I think, I mean, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, I really struggled with this idea of like, not having enough to do. Mm. I've always joked that I'm really bad at being bored because I, like, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm, I'm immediately miserable. And I just like talk about language. Like I don't know what to do with myself because I don't have a nice checklist talking. I'm laughing because right next to me on my desk right now is my brand new summer checklist, which is very pretty. And it has columns.
1: Oh, happy days are here again.
0: Great. (laughs) Very excited about it. It's all filled out for the week. (laughs) But, and you know, and in the beginning of the pandemic, it was the opposite of that. And especially like about a year ago now when I wasn't teaching and, you know, I didn't have choir anymore. I miss them so much still. And, you know, the, I thought the waiting was over and this idea that there's still so much value in it yeah. um, and sitting and reflecting and seeing what you need and what God is calling you to and what your heart is calling you to um, right. is really interesting.
1: You know, one I guess one comment I'd make about waiting to, direct, to make a connection with the biblical story, after Jesus dies, the disciples are cast into their own pandemic because now they have their leaderless in a sense. I mean, no matter how many times he has tried to foist that upon them. They were pretty good about resisting you know taking full responsibility and they always seem to be getting things wrong anyway so like what was the point right so when when he dies there there are stories that are told about how he continues to interact with them after his death yeah Mm -hmm. i suppose technically they are ghost stories right so he's he's around he's the same jesus but he's completely different Mm -hmm. and one of these stories which is actually commemorated in the church here as Ascension Sunday. There is a Sunday given over each year, Ascension Day, to the story of Jesus really departing from the world. He sees his disciples now for the last time, so so to speak. And now they're really bereft, right? It's like, oh my gosh, you know, we lost him once and yeah. now he comes back and he's, we're losing him again. And they have a question about what they're supposed to do and there's an angelic presence there. And the, and the word that comes to these disciples is, wait for the promise of the Father. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if that, that this angel is saying to them, that's how Jesus got started. He didn't do anything until he received a direction. So you folks do the same thing. And it's very interesting to me, Leslie, is that initially they go back to what they were doing before. They go. Some of them go back to work. Some of them go to the temple and worship every day. They kind of have that, they, they kind of get into a routine, which, is, which fulfills some of the need to be doing something purposeful. But they leave open this part of themselves that says, I don't know exactly where we're headed, but I trust that it's going to become clear. Mm-hmm. And this is my little experiment these days is to actually practice that in my own life. I'm thinking... Mm-hmm. I don't wanna to rush too quickly ahead now. I wanna see where the direction is going to come and who knows who it will come from or when or where, but I, I think that's what Sue Kidd discovers that she's got a great rich life in many ways, but she's going to leave herself open through this spiritual waiting to the new thing. And that's, uh, that's kind of the adventure of religion. It's really putting it, putting it all out there.
0: Absolutely. I was curious about your feeling, um, or your reaction. I, I, I sort of took a pause at it. She had in, a, in one of the stories, she walked past a car and the bumper sticker says I'll never grow up. Mm-hmm. And she took that very literally mm-hmm. and was like, well, people need to always be growing. Yeah. Um, and, I took that differently. <laughs>
1: How did you take that.
0: I took that as um, not losing child wonder and a sense yeah. of play.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Which is consistent with my personality yeah. uh, and my approach to, to life. But I think, um, and my mother's always like, "I'm never going to grow up." I'm like, okay, yeah, great. <laughs> um, but that you know, and I think that to me, that's separate from growing.
1: Yes. Yes. Oh, you know, well, I like that it has a two sides to it. Right. And I think the side you're talking about is incredibly important, especially since Jesus said, unless you become as a child, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So in one sense, we better not grow up. <laughs> right. We better have that sense. that's always a part of us. But mm-hmm. I do think they're they're part of what she's getting at is this notion that uh, growth does come as an important part of spirituality. Mm-hmm. The only thing I've realized as I've thought about this over the years is that we do put a tremendous amount of emphasis in our culture in particular on growth. Mm-hmm. The company has to grow. The church has to grow. Those flowers in my backyard that I planted, they better grow. You know, it's it's all around. Right. Unfortunately, we've been practicing a doctrine of unlimited growth for the last several hundred years and it's wasting the planet. Mm-hmm. And so maybe... It would be healthier to see growth in the way that you're talking about it which is more of a perspective of wonder and viewing the world through the eyes of a child who are a little less goal oriented maybe than you know their adult peers and not being so concerned about you know how am i growing am i growing how do i test it how do i know yeah um, because i don't think all cultures see this the same way i think a lot of cultures would look at us and think yeah because of your constant fascination with development and always reaching some new, you know, marker, look at what's happened to the planet. So, um, it's, uh, it's a really interesting question that you raise. It's, and it's funny because it all comes from looking at a bumper sticker, right? As we get, gets the whole thing started. So,
0: yeah, that was funny. Um, she talks a lot about this idea of, of a spiritual life. Mm. Um, what, what, What does she mean by that? Do you think like what, you know, I feel like that's kind of a big idea.
1: It's a huge idea. You know, I get I I get two responses to that phrase when I talk with people about it. First, it's like, what, what do you mean a spiritual life? Like, what, how's that different from any other kind of life? Mm -hmm. And then uh, there are a lot of people on the other hand that I talk with who are so into that and they study it and read about it so much that they just, they're already launched, right? And I, I think from the perspective of Christian religion, a spiritual life is one in which we have found ourselves or have found a way to come into alignment with how the deep creative spirit of God is at work in the world. And we feel like we're really working in harmony with it rather than against it, you know, at cross purposes. So a spiritual life in the last, oh gosh, many centuries, you know, it's, it's a life that's often fed and nourished by spiritual practices Mm -hmm. that could be meditation or Bible reading or art or listening to music or making music. It's whatever seems to bring you into that deeper uh, space where you can feel a sense of aliveness and purpose about the world. And I think what she means, uh, she felt, I think, Sue Kid, that she wasn't living a spiritual life because she was so out of alignment with it. You know, her life was stale. It was unfulfilling. And when you use the word crisis about your life, that's kind of a heads up. And um, so this is, I think that's how she's, she's coming at it. But a spiritual life is, uh, I think it's kind of one of those things that I treat as like a treasure trove. You want to open it up and see what's in there and kind of discover it for ourselves. And that's a great thing about her book. I think it. she gives us a lot of resources in this little book to figure out what we might mean when we use the phrase, a spiritual life.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of opportunities there, isn't there?
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many.
0: Well, thank you so much for introducing this book to me. Um, If any of our wonderful listeners out there, if you've read it or if you're planning on reading it, we'd love to hear from you. You can write a description in the uh, comment in the video description below. You can also email us at podcast at roundtailcommunitychurch.org. We'd love to chat with you more about it. And we can't wait to see you here again next week.
1: Here, here. Blessings to all.